Welcome to episode 90 of the Dawson D Show with Australian basketball legend Chris Anstey. Chris is a former pro basketball player whose 17-year career included stints in Russia, Spain, and playing for the Chicago Bulls and Dallas Mavericks in the NBA. He is a two-time Olympian, world champion, and world championship MVP. Chris also played for the Melbourne Tigers, South East Melbourne Magic, and Victorian Titans right here in the Australian NBL. He is retired as a two-time championship winning captain and MVP with three NBL titles to his name and later became the Melbourne Tigers head coach in 2012. How it all began for Chris is unique and unlike many who do make it to the big time in basketball, having only discovered his basketball talents by accident, with tennis being his original number one sports code of choice to play. Chris shares the journey to being drafted in the NBA and what it was like playing in the league, including travelling and what their hectic schedule consisted of on the road, pressures of playing for the Bulls right after the Michael Jordan era of success and the reality around earning huge money but still feeling unfulfilled in life. We got to pick Chris's brain on how important it is for athletes at all levels to celebrate wins as much as it is to celebrate losses. He shared with us a couple of post-match non-negotiable traditions that helped create winning cultures at all teams he played at. Chris spoke from the heart on numerous other points, including why we must start letting go of the term retirement when a professional athlete leaves his profession as a pro athlete. He shared his battles away from the court, including a marriage breakup and the harsh realities that came with going through a divorce. It was incredibly raw and we were blown away by how vulnerable Chris was with us. We chatted about so much more as well, but we don't want to give it all away just yet. If you're a basketball fan or not, you're going to love this amazing conversation with the legend that is Chris Anstey. Welcome to the Dawson D Show. Two great mates striving to improve in all areas of their lives. The podcast is designed to empower everyday humans just like us who want to add more joy, energy and happiness into their daily lives. Sharing our real life experiences and everyday struggles, relating to them in a personal way. Expect uncensored stories, plenty of laughs and tips and tricks to inspire you on your own journey. Now, let's go balls deep. Well, Dave, we've got basketball royalty. We do. In, in, in our apartment. Can you believe it? I can't this believe is it. Actually this pretty... is what we set out to do, mate. And <laughs> um, we got a man that needs no introduction today, which is really exciting. Yeah, it's very exciting. Chris Anstey, welcome. Hello, no, you got me a free coffee, so I'm, <laughs> I'm invested. Welcome to the Dawson D Show. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. We're, uh, we're wrapped to have you with us, mate. Firstly, the doggies are one and two. Uh, you're a fellow like doggies man. I love how we start with the Western Bulldogs. I know. Uh, we could go basketball. We could go anywhere. Yeah, Footy. You know what? I, I actually had dinner with Jay Sakamanis last night. And <laughs> I've, got, I've got some old stories. And Aka was someone who a long time ago was, and, and I know where your, your conversations tend to go, and was the first time I'd actually told the story about him and I in a room that he was in and without going too far off track straight away. But he was one yeah. of those guys I reached out to without ever having spoken a word to him when I was going through a marriage separation, actually. And we became really good mates just sharing ideas. Yeah. And we still catch up and we did a, a speaking gig last night for the first time ever. And it was funny telling these stories and we went in a lot more detail, but no, it was interesting that even to connect with him, I literally called the front desk of the Western Bulldogs because I love the Bulldogs so much. Yeah. Asked to leave my phone number. He called me back. I actually ended up doing the Western Bulldogs official podcast with Bob Murphy, which was a blast for a year. And then they said, look, we've got someone else who unfortunately we don't think you're going to be able to, we're not going to be able to bring you back next year. And I'm thinking, they've gone and recruited over me. I thought I did a good job and the feedback was good. So out of interest, who have you got? They said, oh, Marcus Bontempelli wants to do it. I said, yeah, okay, right. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair. yeah. So, uh, no, I love the Bulldogs. I'm still like you and living and remembering 2016. Last year was disappointing, but 
Yeah, we're still good. Yeah, we you, are. You, every, every game we turn up, we compete, and we're not quite where we need to be yet, but... Mm. You know, I'll get along to the game. I don't know when you when you play um, this when yeah. it goes out, but I've probably been to the game already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the Richmond games tomorrow as we sit here, and I'm taking my little seven year old, and he loves watching and he loves getting along. But no, we're one and two, but I think we'll beat the Tigers, and I think we'll we're not that far off. Just slow, just slow. Dude. Yeah, yeah, they're doing well. They're doing I think well. I've nearly got you over the line as a doggy supporter. Yeah, too. I'm getting there. Well, he's a Saints mate, man, so our bookshelf. Hey, the Saints you. were good on the weekend. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they absolutely. were very impressive. Yeah, but I do need a second team, so yeah. uh, I could be persuaded. Bulldogs, everyone's second yeah. team. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Chris, how did it all start for you? I want to talk a little bit about tennis first because that was the track you were going down. Can you tell us a little bit about your yeah, passion for tennis yeah. or, yeah, just that story? That, that was it. it was from when I was a kid, I had a tennis racket in my hand and I used to play in the driveway, hit against the wall, eventually made it to the tennis club in Keelor and could hit him okay. My, my hand, my hand eye was okay. My coordination was okay. And, you know, I, along the way, I've met some of the people who are still my best friends in the world. Yep. The guy I ended up playing doubles with was a guy named Dustin Fletcher who went on to play 400 games for Essendon and he was one of my best mates growing up. And we went on these extraordinarily different journeys from a doubles combination that went okay and went through a stage where we didn't lose for four years and in proper tournaments. So national well, you junior tournaments. You couldn't hit the ball past him. Imagine the, imagine <laughs> well, the reach. Well, this is the thing. We had, we had good reach, but we had good hands and yeah. we moved okay. And it's funny that the things that we were a little bit behind in on a tennis court mm. with our agility compared to the little quick guys were the things that we were better at than yeah. a lot of basketball players and AFL players our size because we moved okay, mm. we read the ball in flight pretty well. Mm-hmm. And on a basketball court, and especially on a football ground, there's so much space. Yeah. And you don't rush your decisions and the, the game seemed to slow down for both of us. But yeah. Tennis was a big part of that. Took a long time to leave it. I didn't play basketball until I was 17. And mm. even when I started playing basketball, I kept going back to tennis okay. yeah. for the first six months. You know, when I finally made that choice, yeah, there weren't many junior tennis tournaments coming out. A few people were in my ear about coming down and trying out for high-level teams. And yep. I made the choice and turned out to be a good one. Absolutely. What was the strength? Was it a serve or was it a yeah, one hand a backhand? Volley. Volley. Serve volley. Serve yeah. volley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can see the serve volley. Do you want no, to it, it, I used to hit my forehand really well as well, but I'm actually back having tennis lessons at the moment. After you know, with COVID, I think everyone yeah. figured out what they wanted to do, not what they had to do. And for me, I thought, you haven't played tennis in a long time. I should. And I was at the park with my seven-year-old hitting tennis balls on a brick wall with a net on it. Yeah. And I looked across. There's an actual tennis, and tennis was one of the first sports that went back. Because it was outdoor, yeah. you're socially distanced. Two people. Two people. I'm watching this coach. I think, geez, I missed that. And the kid he was coaching was good. Mm. And he seemed to have a really good mannerism. I literally went and hung onto the, the, the chain <laughs> wire fence. I'm like, mate, do you do this for adults as well? This is when the kid had died. I actually said, the young fellow looks like he hits him okay. He says, yeah, he's really funny. And he gave all the answers. I thought, this guy's not one of those coaches who's clinging on to some talent. And I thought, how about next week I come down? He said, yeah, I've got time here. And... That was probably three Thank months ago. I've been every week that I've been home. So it's been fun. Awesome. I have I have fun. I stay fit. Yeah. Get to talk a little bit of trash. And if anyone ever wants to challenge me in tennis again, I feel like I'm a little bit yeah. more prepared. Yeah. yeah. Oh, mate, I, I wouldn't want to face one of those serves, to be honest. Yeah, no. be oh, it's, no, it's non-threatening at the moment. Yeah, oh, yeah, You but say that, but yeah, I, I don't know about that. So when you transitioned into basketball, what, how did you fall into it? Were you always a fan? Did you no, I never, no? never watched a game. Okay. Uh, my younger brother played. I filled in for his men's C-grade team at Keelor Basketball Stadium and tell this story about you know, kicking rocks. And it was one of those days, and we all go through and where we're kicking rocks and don't want to do it. I yeah. told him enough times, no, nah, I'm not helping out. Mum made me. Okay. And somewhere on the drive, I thought, 
I'm going anyway. I might as well be my best, mm-hmm. yeah. or try. I might as well try. Yeah. And it sounds like such a simple thing to say, but so often so many people don't. If they don't want to go somewhere, they won't present the best version of them. And I'd love to give you a good noble reason as to why I tried, but I think I wanted to be better than my brother just to piss him off. Yes. And all trying meant for me was running, and I could do that because yep. I played tennis and I had a good game. Mind you, I'm playing accountants and lawyers and bank tellers that are five foot two. Um, so in, in that stadium that night, one of the 20-odd people who was around was a junior basketball coach from the Melbourne Tigers. And he invited me to come down. I went to another club as well that wasn't nearly as welcoming. But, you know, there's a guy named Des Middleton who was coaching at the Tigers and he took the time to get to know me even before I stood, set foot on the floor. He, he explained to the guys, he said, Chris has never played before. We think he'll fit into the group well. Make sure you... You're patient with him and get to know him. And it was a completely different environment to what so many junior sporting clubs are because no one cared if we won on the weekend. Mm. I mean, we did, but we never spoke about it. We always just spoke about what we were doing and how we're improving and our measurables were never winning. We just, winning was a result, but we weren't aiming at that. We're one of the best teams in the nation. And that, so my upbringing was, I had no bad habits because I hadn't played. Mm -hmm. I was around some of the best junior players in the country. There was an NBL team training on the court next to me that I got to look at and think, I can do some of that stuff. Yeah. I'm not strong enough. I'm not experienced enough. I don't make good choices, but I reckon I can maybe get there. Mm. So, so that's how it started. And then at the end of it, but well, not long into it, it you realise how hard it is. Mm. You know, it takes a lot, a lot of work, more than I ever knew possible, and it was worth it. Putting the person first, like, does that happen? It sounds like, simple, doesn't it? Yeah, but like even in juniors now, I think back to when I was a playing footy you know as a young kid in my you know early teens like the dads and the coaches it was always about winning and I've, I've coached now for a long time and nobody likes losing no mm. but in anything that's not sport you go days weeks or months without feeling like you failed yeah but in sport you're you either succeed or fail every week and a lot of people don't handle failure well yeah and if all you do is measure success on winning championships 95 percent of people who play sport are going to fail every yeah. year so for, for me, it always became the lessons you take from sport, whether you win or lose, but not evaluating your level of success or measuring your success on winning games. Because oftentimes I'd play against a team who'd been playing for eight years together and I've just started the game. And if I lined myself up again, I'd be stupid. But I knew where I wanted to go and I knew where I wanted to be in three or four years. And that was more important for me. And the best coaches I've had have always been like that. Even Brian Gorgian, at professional level, we, we never really spoke about winning championships. We spoke about competing every day mm. at practice and in games and let the results take care of themselves. But so many selfish junior coaches want their kids to rest. And this is the big one. They say, we've got the game on Saturday. We need you to rest. You know, light training session on Thursday, whatever on Friday. Make sure you don't do anything. And these kids, because the focus is winning a game of footy or basketball or netball, they miss out on development opportunities for three days at the expense of being tired on the weekend. We just got told you're going to play tired yeah. and you're going to lose games because you worked harder than the others, but you'll catch up. Mm. But there are just so many young kids out there who don't achieve, and I say kids, teenagers, kids, yeah. that don't achieve their potential because they've got a coach who's so into winning on the weekend. They don't allow the athlete in the kid to train hard enough. Mm. And... There's burnout, there's loss, there's 
pressure to perform on the weekend when there shouldn't be. The, the pressure mm. should be to do your best. And I know that sounds... And have fun. And have, But I think one comes with the other. Yeah, yeah. I think if you do your best without the pressure of winning, you'll inadvertently have fun. Mm. And then you've got to be in a situation where if you lose, it's not point, point, yell, yell. It's like, here's what we did well, but you got to see, touch and feel a team that's better than you. What did you learn from them? What are mm. your takeaways? And you don't have to do that straight away because it's hard to learn when you're emotional. But you can learn two days later at your next training session. I don't yeah. like debriefing a game right after a loss or a win mm. because I like to have time to digest and really figure out what's important to, to bring across to the team. Well, on that, how important is enjoying a win? Because um, a lot of people... Yeah, really important. Yeah. But I would say to you, those two hours after a game, everyone talks about footy culture where you still have a beer after the game. And there's a whole thing around Australian culture where you don't need to promote drinking to have a good time. I yeah. couldn't agree more. Mm. But... I don't think that having a beer or, or gathering together is a result of a win. I think it's a result of being in a team and doing something that isn't on the field or on the court is important. Mm. So we always had a rule, even at the Melbourne Tigers when I was captain and we were playing for NBL championships and winning them, every single road game, no matter what, we bought two slabs of beer, a bottle of Jack and a bottle of vodka. We went to the owner's room. Win, lose, it sounds like a lot of beer, but this is for 15 people. A lot people. of people, yeah. So it's literally one or two drinks each. And we just sat around the owner's room, sprawled over the bed, over the bed, sitting on couches, sitting on dresses, and just talking, win, lose, or draw. And the rule, team rule was you don't go out mm. until that's done, unless you've got family in town. If you've got a family member in town that you haven't seen, go and spend time with your family. Otherwise, no I'm, basketball yeah. talk, but it, it comes up and, you know what, an hour, hour and a half later, whatever it is, the result is far less important. Yeah. And, and this is a professional level, but it's something, it's a tradition that we fought hard to keep. It's rare now. Yeah. But you say, well, how, should you enjoy a win? Yeah, but you should enjoy a loss as well because at the end of the day, I can tell you we won some championships. I couldn't tell what our record was. I couldn't tell you who we beat. Couldn't tell you who we lost to. I'll tell you about all the guys on the team. Mm. And it's a really hard lesson to sell in the moment. And it's something you learn through experience, I think. And it's so different in basketball because like footy, you play obviously once a week. Where basketball in the NBA, how often were you playing? Sometimes three times. Yeah, but, but in Australia, a junior level, not in, we're not promoting drinking at junior level. <laughs> <laughs> but, but in the NBL, it's still once or twice a week. Yeah. And, so yeah, in- I actually coach one of the Melbourne United players' wives currently. And it was her birthday and she had family in from New Zealand. We'd all gone in the game. And we ended up in a bar and we sat around this big bar and United had just played a game, of course, because we were there. And so many of the guys turned up and so many of our players turned up and then the owners of United turned up. No one spoke basketball. It was just sitting around and and being present. And that shows to me that the culture of Melbourne United's trending back towards what it was when I was there because I went away from it with the whole rebranding. But it also showed me that the culture of our group is pretty good because mm. no one had to turn up. Yeah. But they did because they wanted to. And there's a, if you can create an environment that people want to turn up to, not have to turn up to, I think that's one of the most important parts. And from there, you can do anything. I, I love it. It's sorry to jump in. It no. just, it's just from all my experience in sport, that's so rare. Yeah. I've really only played footy my whole life, but that's so rare. Like, On that but, note, but it's rare yeah. because people aren't confident enough that they try to prove that they can coach. Mm. Yeah. And they're worried about getting assessed on one small moment in time instead of having the confidence, I don't care if I can coach or not. Mm. I care that I can care. 
And I know that I know enough basketball. Yeah, well, if you fire me for not winning a championship, okay. I've always said I'll get fired for my players. Every job I take, yeah. I'll get fired for my players yeah. because I'll always go on the back for the, to bat for them, of course, if deservedly. Yeah. But yeah. no, look, it's... It's fascinating. It's all relationships. Yeah, it's not, yeah and you yeah. don't have to... But there's nothing to prove yeah. other than to your playing group that you care and you're doing what's in their best interests. I love the fact that, and I don't know, do you get sick of... Well, you probably don't like because when... Sometimes all people want to talk about is basketball, whereas as basketball, as you're saying, like you finish the game and you go and you talk about life. Does it get a point where sometimes you do just want to talk about life away yeah, from the and, game? and it like, still comes back to it's what you do. Yeah, so it inadvertently it's, it's comes up. But yeah. I'm a big advocate of sports psychology, psychology, call it whatever you want, mentorship. Yeah. The, the term can be scary. But a psychologist mate of mine said to me years and years ago when I was talking about it, he said, you're not a basketball player. You're a human being who happens to be good at basketball. And that just resonated with me that there are other thoughts I have. So yeah, someone like Andrew Bogut, who's really, really divisive in his opinion, and they say, just shut up and dribble. Well, having a professional basketball career is the same as having an accounting career yeah. or a legal career. You're still entitled to an opinion. Mm. So do I get sick of it? No, not really, but it's, it's nice. As a basketball player, I understand that it's not necessarily the skill development and the physical development that are the only important things it's understanding why and understanding the mental development and how you evaluate and how you train it's there's more to it but what sport teaches you sure you feel great because you're fit and you're in shape but i think what sport teaches you is really transferable to whatever you do next and when we're on that we had a gathering last night where there's an in-depth conversation about sports and about the, the mental side of sports but one of the interesting ones I've always found is that as an athlete, when you finish playing, you've, you get told you retire. But within any other walk of life, if you chose to go from being an accountant to an event planner, you just change careers. Yeah. But there's a, there's a sense of or a feeling of when you retire that you've switched off and you're done. Mm. So I think we need to start rewording that for athletes to say when you play your last game, you're about to change careers, not retire. Yeah. Because that's a big part of the mental health issue when it comes to retiring athletes because that's their identity and now it's done. Mm. But it's not their identity. They've got another career to get onto now. They're not retiring. Yeah. Have you noticed a lot of your former teammates or people you played against struggle with identity once they went through that transition and the changes? Yeah, yeah some. And sometimes the higher profile, the harder it is. The ones who make a lot, a lot of money are able to just, not just, but invest their money and use it to yeah. do their own thing. But it's the ones in the middle that have a high profile locally and are used to being a captain and used to being a, a figurehead and that yeah. find it hard to go to an entry-level job or, or some other job where you're literally subservient to someone and learning a skill. But they do it well and they do it quickly. You know, I've worked, oh, not name-dropping, but I've worked for a company named Latrobe Financial for a lot, a lot of years. What they actually do is employ ex-athletes because they know that they can teach them the job, but they can't teach the, the innate traits that athletes have. Yeah. Working with others, working hard, being there on time, doing as you're told, all these sort of things that they've had great success. And God, I always encourage any employer, if, if you're not sure... Mm employ an athlete because yeah. they'll be grateful for the opportunity too that said similar yeah thing. exactly i'd love to hear about if you're open to it like what's it like the lifestyle of a, a full-time nba player like um, it, it seems pretty hectic and pretty full-on it's, it's a lot of time in hotels a lot of time yeah. on buses a lot of time yeah. in stadiums and a lot of time in airplanes yeah. and when you get out it seems that because the nba is a show yeah and what the public sees 
is the three hours every few nights mm. that you're put onto a platform and said, go and perform. Mm. The other side of that is there are so many young people with so much money that they've got people around them to, that they don't hear no. So they're used to demanding things mm. and having them done for them. And I don't think it's a realistic view of what life is. I remember when I was in Dallas and the club would do anything for us, but I want to do it. I'm bored. I need something to do. So it can get boring and you can see how distractions creep in, but it's a skewed reality mm. for these young kids and there's got to be a responsibility to make sure. And you know, I'll use Josh Giddy as an example. He's got incredible people around him. He'll end up signing for hundreds of millions of dollars. But one of the best qualities I learned when I was over in the United States and in the NBA is if someone walked into a room and were worth tens or hundreds of millions of dollars and you didn't know, that's a great quality. Mm. because they're not there flaunting it, they're inverted commas acting normally. I just found that to be a really endearing trait to people who I later found out. Mm. Steve Nash is one. If you, mm. if you didn't follow basketball and Steve Nash walked into a, into a hotel, he'd be having a beer with you, he'd be telling you stories, and then when you left someone, would go, do you know that was a two-time NBA MVP? <laughs> is that, what? Yeah. You'd never pick it. It's, the good people like that, I think, really stand out is probably my overriding feel to that question yeah wow it's so interesting because we hear so many stories and you don't know often what to believe when you listen to the media and and getting insight into these athletes lives but i want to ask too like in that whole environment because i've heard a lot of basketballers in the nba talk about not being close with their teammates barely even speaking to them we play together we train together but that's it we don't where footy clubs, a lot of people... I think that's Australian culture as much as anything. Yeah. The, the thing is, if you've got $120 million to distribute between 15 people mm. and one guy's getting 30 and another guy's getting 20 and you've got four or five down the other end getting $1 or $2 million a year, these guys making $1 or $2 million want 10 Yeah. Mm. And so there's that internal battle to find your, you know, find the pecking order of the team. And that was certainly evident when I was there and that the good teams have been able to get away from that but it still exists yeah. because there's so much money on the line that rewards being a little bit selfish to climb that pecking order because the difference between $2 million a year and $10 million is almost generational. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it sets yeah. up your next couple of generations. Yeah, yeah wow. That's, I never thought about it like that. You know, it sets you up for that next period of your life and your family also. What about the traveling aspect? Mm. Like staying in a hotel, like I think about it. I remember Dennis Cometti actually, when he retired, he spoke about how many days throughout his whole commentating career he spent in hotel rooms i can't remember but it was like thousands as a commentator and i thought to myself i'm like holy shit like he spent thousands of days in his whole career in one hotel room like finish a game go but that's his job obviously it's his career he's paid to do it but you're traveling all the time not seeing your family sacrificing can you tell us about yeah, that? Yeah, that was it. And the, the reward was the financial and the reward was what you're able to achieve on the court but you know, I was over visiting my daughter just last month in the United States. You know, a few days in LA, a few days in Denver, a few days in Phoenix, a few days in Vegas. Now, I'd been to Vegas and not played basketball before. I'd been to all those other places, but I'd never been there without playing. Yeah. And so it felt like the first time I'd seen these cities. And mm. I came home and I said, how good is Scottsdale? Like, but you've been there six times. <laughs> I said, yeah, but I've never seen it. Yeah. Because as you say, it's pull in a private airplane, like a private part of the airport, Bus to the hotel, stay in your room, get room service, maybe eat out so you see one restaurant. Back to your room, get ready for the game, play. Bags are on the bus and you're flying out. 
Wow. And that's it. So now you don't get to see much and you do get sick of hotel rooms. And back then it, it, it possibly was harder because social media didn't exist. Yeah. Streaming services sure. on TV didn't exist. <laughs> there wasn't Netflix. No, we, no, we carried around box sets of DVDs and we had Walkmans and we had, yeah. you know, it was a, a whole, I read a lot of books and probably because I read so many, I don't read as much now because it's so easy to put something on and just turn your brain off and watch it on TV. Yeah. So yeah. But I, I love traveling at the yeah. moment. I've, I've sort of set myself up where I can do a lot of what I do remotely as well, as, as we all have yeah. in most years, right? But I'll get, now that my daughter is in the States, I, I want to be able to visit her and go and travel around. And, you know, I'm running trips to the USA with, as a side business because I want to do it mm. and I want to share what I'm doing with other people who've got similar interests in it. Again, it sounds really simple, but I think COVID allowed us to simplify what we wanted to do when we came out of it. And I've been fortunate that it's going okay so far. Definitely. This might sound like a ridiculous question, but when you sit back now and you reflect on everything you've achieved, did you actually enjoy that time in the NBA? I mean, I know it's a lot of people's dream, but saying what you've said and everything that was going on in terms of pressure, travel, all these other things that are going on, you're in the public eye basically every night. Did you get to enjoy the experience or do you, upon reflection, wish you were more... I don't know, present. In I, I think, no, I was present. I, don't, I think it's like anything. You have moments that are incredible and moments that are horrible. Mm. Moments where you're bored and you think, why am I doing this moment where you think I'm the luckiest guy in the world? Yeah. That's where I think it's different to, and I say inverted commas, office job, because there are a range of emotions. Everyone's got completely different personalities. You're getting evaluated far more often than most people do. Yeah. But, you know, when I went, I was... I'd only been playing the game for four years. I mean, crazy. looking back in a, <laughs> nice. in, a, in a perfect world, I would have been a little bit better prepared to handle the first year and I may have been able to stick around longer, but mm. it's still amazing. You, what's, there's a saying, you know, what is it? The lesson of the test comes before the lesson. It's yeah. a little bit like that. I, I wish I'd have known what I knew at the end at the start Yeah, because I probably would have approached it a little bit differently and, and maybe even been a little bit more selfish to ensure that I stayed there and not been so... No, it's okay, you, you do it. And it's, you're, as, again, as Aussies, that's what we are. Yeah. We, we try to make it more seamless for your teammates because that's the environment we come from. Sure. But I tell you what, it's no, you, you learn plenty. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> even playing for a team all, you know, Chicago and then obviously Dallas, like representing a brand, like I look at that like, well, as a... Aussie and a fan, like, you've got to play for those two big brands. Like, that's pretty freaking crazy. And after only being in or playing the sport for four years as well, did you understand that yeah, as a kid? especially not as a kid because I didn't follow the game, but mm. especially the Chicago Bulls. I mean, everyone had left. Yeah. And, but you still walk in past the six championship trophies, the banners are hanging in the rafters at training, and you're a Chicago Bull, you're pulling a singlet and you're, you're playing for the Bulls. But then there's also the sense of, you understood with the media and you understand the fans are like, this is shit. You know, we're used to winning championships and look at this yeah. team. So there's yeah. that sense of probably even magnify, we're not very good. And that's, you know, you, you talk about tough shoes to fill. I mean, sure, that's near on impossible. And there was always a sense of that within the group. And I think it's probably why it took them so long to rebuild. But mm. no, nah, just... I mean, those singlets still hang in my house. Well, they don't. They sit in a cupboard in my house. Um, but I'm proud of being yeah. able to pull on those singlets, just like the Australian yeah. jerseys. And of course. I think everyone, there's a different story. And yeah, that will that, actually become really relatable when you have kids or when you get out into the inverted, yeah. you know, the real world. Yeah. yeah. Because sport does parallel the real world. It just does it on speed. Yeah. 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 What about when you get traded? Oh, you feel like you failed because yeah. you would hope that they wanted to keep you. It's like breaking up in a relationship. 
Mm. You think, well, why aren't I good enough? But then you find someone that's better. It's a little bit like that with a trade that, yeah, they might not want me, but this team does. But you tend to look at the negative at the start instead of, hey, this other team really wants me. But you don't get any say? No, no, they just call you. They call me that morning. I flew out that night. So had to pack up the apartment, moved into a little self-contained apartment until I found a house in Chicago and got organized. Simple as that, done. Wow. Yeah. yeah that's pretty freaking crazy. Like, imagine that, like me and you just getting told by a boss, hey, by the way, mate, you're moving to Perth. Yeah. You know, because your, your job's now over there. Like, yeah, but, was your, but I had a 12-month lease that I had to try to get yeah, out oh, of. Exactly, and yeah. Payments, all kinds of things. Just, yeah, I was actually lucky I didn't have a family over there. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I, I wrote a story not long ago about how hard it would be if you had three kids and a wife who's got a job. Yeah. Well, hang on, now you're all moving. You know, there's a tough choice. Does a family stay and you go? Mm. Does a family uproot and go somewhere else and your kids have got to go to a new school and make new friends? It's, it's tough. And, and then people will say, yeah, but look what you paid to do it. Yeah, That doesn't matter to your kids. They live in a nice house. That's all they know. They just want their friends to come and knock on the door and play. Mm. So I, I don't – one thing I do remember from the States is, yeah, those first month or two they hand you – what, they pay me $45,000 every two weeks or something. It was stupid. Mm. And you look at it when you get your pay slip and like, you just chuckle. Yeah. Like, this is, this is stupid. I, I made that in a year in Australia. Within about two months, you don't even look at it anymore. You know that it's going in, but you get on with living life. And you know you're making a lot of money, but it's not the important thing because you're trying to develop relationships and you're trying, especially if you've got a family, to do the right thing. You can buy things for them, mm. but you can't give them the time that they want. And I think anyone who's had kids for a number of years will tell you that one of the greatest things about choosing to spend more time at home is that it's, you, spend, you get to spend time with your kids and when you're traveling all the time, it is hard for those guys who have families, especially when there's a risk that they'll move at any given time. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. In, in terms of money, in those days, were you being taught about managing money? Were you, um, did you have people around you helping you invest? Yeah, or? D- d- Dad was an accountant. Um, I had good advice. My uncle, was a, he worked for Comsec. So yeah, I did. I got good cool. advice. Yeah then you make good decisions and you make bad ones. And I've got two beautiful kids, but getting divorced isn't a good, not that it's a decision, it happens. Yeah. And so with all of the good investment advice I'd got, you lose all of that and more sure. in a divorce. So there's always that side. You know, everyone always says the hardest part of sport and all that sort of thing. It's, it's always the stuff that happens away from the game yeah. that you then bring back in or that's the hardest. And yeah, they're, they're tough times, but... Again, you get through them, you, you bitch and you moan and you pour me a little bit at the time. Someone says, no, you, I, I'm going to take $4 million from you. So hang on, but I don't get anything. And you know, that's just how it is. You know, that's hard. Yeah. You know, the, the rest of the stuff that you've asked, that's easy. But you don't figure that out until after you go through it. Then, then when you lose it, you realise that, actually, I don't, I don't need it. You know, because you know, the last... However many years I'll tell people I've been happier than I've been ever. Yeah. Because I don't care. I just That's I get good. to choose who I spend my time with. I get to choose whether I spend money or not. And mm. at some level I get to choose what I want to do. I'm not, I'm not told what to do. So you know, I've had a lot of money. I've lost a lot of money. I've made a little bit of money. And mm. it gives you a freedom to do things. But it, God, all it does, you have nice things around you that you can't share with people. It's just fascinating to hear because a lot of people wouldn't, don't or will never experience no, they won't, and they'll still yeah. say to me, easy for you to say you've got a lot of money. Yeah. Well, I don't. I had a lot of money. I gave a lot of money. And, sort of, and you sort of come to peace with the fact that one day your kids will have it anyway. Yeah, of course, So yeah. there's comfort in that as well, that sure. however they get it, 
they'll end up getting it as long as it's just you're not under control. To, it's not under your control to make sure that it's not lost. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, look, yeah. You, you, again, it all, it, how did we get here? Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting perspective. <laughs> the Olympic Games, can you talk a bit about that? Because I'm imagining like you get to represent your country. Did you, were you 2000? 2000, 2008. And 2008. Yeah. And 2008. Yeah, 2004 I was injured. Yeah. yeah. What was that like representing the boomers? I, to be honest, it's an interesting one and I never cared about representing my country and I never felt that I was. I felt that I was representing my family, my friends, my teammates, my coaches because they're the ones I spend every day with yeah. and I know that they'd be riding every single possession with me. There's 25 plus million people in Australia I've never met and I, as much, there was always a responsibility also for the players who didn't make the team to make sure that you performed at a level that they went, okay, uh, sure. But yeah. th- th- I think representing your country comes after all that. You know, I never thought I was important enough for the whole country to care. There, Kathy Freeman's of the world and Ian Thorpe's of the world, yeah, they're, they're representing Australia in an individual capacity. But we saw it, Andrew Gaze, Mark Bradkey, Luke Longley, Shane Hill, <laughs> these sort of guys, I was just a small piece of it and I was doing my part. And the ones who cared about my performance were those close to me. So for me, representing my country, in all due respect, came well and truly down the list okay. of what I took from playing in the Olympic Games. I'm, I'm wrapped that I did it. Yeah. But, you know, I watch my daughter play and she's represented her country at junior level and even at club level. The journey I go on watching her plays, I get it now even more. I get the journey my parents and my friends and my teammates when I go. You know, we get up at 3 o'clock in the morning, we get double-strength coffee and we'll watch a game <laughs> A college game going on in the in the United States because we're invested. You know, the whole country's not invested in every single game. Yeah. So I, I hope that came came out the right yeah. way. But I think what I what I'm trying to say is that it was always a, about my circle of people that I was representing, not first. That everyone else came second. That actually makes me think about us as like soccer fans and football lovers, like you know, we would get up not every game, but you know, and we'll get up and watch the Premier League or watch a championship. But then you've got the all your mates that'll watch it once every four years when the World Cup's on, right. you know, and yeah. they'll love it and they'll be soccer obsessed and they'll, be, they'll know everything about it, but we'll continue to watch soccer yeah. once that's gone. Yeah, we, we found so many fans over the even at the Melbourne Tigers. You'd lose a game, they'd be destroyed. We're okay. Yeah. Like, it, it meant more to them than it did to us. Yeah. And you, you start to learn more about the emotional journey that fans go on and family goes on. And you know, we win, we lose, we go home, we turn up to training the next day. Yeah. They've got to wait a week until they get to see a game again and they're, they're yeah. only measuring us on those two hours every week. Yeah. So, no, we always found it as athletes fascinating. Well, I see it as well. I mean, I'm a Bulldogs fan. I'll, yeah. I'm at every game or I'm watching every game and I'm riding every bump. And any sports fan will tell you that the, the, the emotional journey they go on the next day when the radio's – you turn the radio off, you don't want to hear when you lost. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And you don't want to That's watch me. the replay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, That's actually me. But, but at times, but the players don't care. No. It's their job and they're doing – but we get so emotionally invested in it yeah. as fans and oftentimes as athletes it's just not that important and it's, it's a hard one to explain. Yeah. When you're playing against the US, like I don't know, but Australia seemed like in – any in most team sports, Australia, we're, we're – known and it's talked about when you play the aussies they're just this together nation like i think about the world cups and you think about 06 in germany and the socceroos like we're this nothing kind of not nothing country but we've never been good at soccer so but all of a sudden you know we we did really well same against like the us it's always been talked about the aussies are always tough and they're hard to play against what was it like playing against 
these bigger teams. Um, see, I, I think that's a media thing. Yeah, it probably um, is. You know, I'll, I'll tell you that Latvia's tough, Lithuania's tough, Greece <laughs> is tough, you know, Argentina's tough, and it's every country in the world, but it's just we're here and we're so geographically removed from everyone. <clears throat> we can create whatever narrative we want. We'd like to be <laughs> yeah. tough, mm. but I could reel off and I won't. Ten national teams that have been so splintered, they've failed as a result of that. So... We get to be very selective in yeah. the way we, with the, with, the, you know, with, the, with the way we perceive history. Yeah, what's it like playing against the big ones? I used to hate the fact that we were we'd happily take on the underdog role. I didn't think we should. If you go yeah. on as an underdog, you've almost given yourself an excuse yeah. if you lose. Yeah, I was naive enough to think, hang on, we can beat them because if you can score once, it must be possible. If you can stop them once, it must be possible. The great teams, the great nations, the great athletes have an ability to replicate that. You know, traditionally we've been a little bit inconsistent. We can do it once or twice, but we can't replicate it every single possession, every single game. Yeah. And that's where that real methodical nature of some of the European countries, I imagine, and I don't follow football enough, that methodical nature, as much as it is a skill, is really hard to beat. And I would say to you that they're probably as together, if not more than what we are. But we'll happily take on that underdog mentality because it gives us an excuse if we lose yeah. and sponsors want that and governing yeah, bodies narrative. want that and yeah. so yeah any time any time we turned up I wanted to win yeah and, it, and, I, and I know that, that sounds hypocritical but it didn't matter if we didn't hmm. we're, we're running out of time so I'll make this one of my last okay. questions but I want to ask is it a fine line between Especially, I'm thinking about your daughter right now and, and the advice you give to other people listening that are chasing yeah. whatever their ambition is. But when you see her, do you live through her career? And like, are you reliving your nah, career through her? I enjoy it. I enjoy it. It's, it's as simple as that. She's my favorite basketball player, but she's yeah. my favorite, one of my favorite human beings. And I say one of because I've got yeah. other kids as well. Um, <laughs> but there's nothing worse than. The, the parent who always has advice or the parent who sits on the sideline and yells advice because it's confusing. Mm. And I coached her for a little while a couple of times and I got in the car and I why did I say that? Because I was emotional and all she knows now is that I just love watching her play. Mm. It's, one, it's one of my favourite things to do and I enjoy, win, lose or draw, I love watching her play. It's awesome. Simple. Mm. I don't give her any advice unless she asks for it. Love it. Where do you think basketball is at as a nation in Australia? Because it seems like it's in a really strong position with lots of great players over it in the you know WNBA and NBA men's as well. And then here in the NBL, the NBL is just booming, flying probably the last three or four seasons. Like it's just taken another hit. Yep. Where do you see it? And it looks like it's in a really good position. Yeah, it seems to be. And they're making money. The ownership invested a lot of money the last three or four years to get it on television. And for the first time in the league's history, each club is making a little tiny bit of money. Mm from their broadcast deal, which is important. So what that does is it puts all of the faces on most on more TVs in more households and they become more familiar faces. Mm. Attendances are up across the league. People always talk to us about the mid-90s when we played the... You know, the, the Tigers <laughs> the played magic. the Magic and there's yeah. 15,000. I said, yeah, don't forget, that's great. And talk about selective memory. We'd go and play the Gold Coast Rollers the next Thursday. There were 3,000. Yeah. So there, there, are, there, <laughs> yeah. Are, there are big crowds across the league now. They've done a good job of promoting it internationally, you know, the argument around whether it's the best quality or not, who knows? Uh, it's good, yeah. but there are some bad teams in it. Um, yeah. It's like every era. Every era's got strengths and weaknesses. We don't quite do a good enough job of celebrating past eras yet. Yeah. I don't think any league should promote the fact that it's the best 
it's the best era ever because it does a disservice to those who've come before them. Yeah. But it's in a strong financial place. My first memory of the NBL, actually, I, I think I told you this <laughs> yeah, earlier. This is a good story. It was well, obviously the Dragons era, South Dragons. And I think like Dad with the business, we, we would go into a few games it was actually one, I think it was the grand final. I can't remember which game it was. Well, He's uh, about to bring up the Dragons grand final where they beat us. Look at him. No, 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 no. <laughs> let's finish <laughs> no, it. No, 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 no. And, um, and, and the great man got ejected. No, I did. Well, we we're down 20 and I wanted to make a statement. I, Reese Carter was niggling me and yeah, I got and I got reported. Did you? And, yeah, yeah we, you I, and I, were, I though, were going at it. Hip and shouldered him and we got a bit of a fight. But this was in game three. I had to go to the tribunal. They said I got charged with striking with my shoulder. I said, how do you strike with your shoulder? <laughs> um, and, and so, ironically, it was Reese Carter who called me. In. So I go back years before that. Mark Worthington, who's a good mate of mine, yeah. we got tangled up in a grand final series when he was playing for the Kings, and he literally threw a punch, got me in my mouth, cut me open, and he got a technical foul. We had two shots in possession. We ended up winning the championship. But he had he went to the tribunal. And they said to me, they said, well, what do you got to say? You know, evidence. I'm like, oh, no, my brace. I, I and I had a tooth thing. I had a couple of braces on it. I said, no, my brace got caught on my leg. He didn't touch me. And they're looking at this film. He's throwing a punch and they missed. And so he, he got off. And, they, and he, again, we're good mates. And our whole thing was, I want to beat Sydney with you in it. Mm. And he wanted to beat Melbourne with me in it. So he called Reese Carter. He says, whatever you do, say Anthony didn't touch him. So he got to the tribunal and he didn't touch me. I flopped. And then they beat us anyway, which in their mind will be, it's better that way than mm. I did play. That was just how we yeah. were. And it's how the old AFL tribunal used to yeah. be, if you remember. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, but, it was like that, yeah. Yeah, but we, we were that. And yeah. we went and won game four, had a great game, and they won game five. We had no juice left. Yeah, it was a good um, series. Yeah. It was a good series. And there was a lot that went on that year that made that, Almost as enjoyable as some of the ones we'd won. We just were one game short. Yeah. Mm. And they finished up that year, didn't they, the Dragons? They finished up. Yeah, I played one more. I got injured the next year. That was my last full season. Yeah, yeah that was right towards the end. Then I got into coaching. But yeah. uh, no, thanks for bringing that up to, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, to, to finish off. No, that wonderful. We didn't talk about any of the championships. <laughs> Let's just talk about a hip and shoulder and the one that you lost. No, just... Well, put you on the spot. Who's winning the NBA this season? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Phoenix probably Phoenix okay um, but I mean they're one injury away I mean if Devin Booker gets injured probably not yep. it's funny I wrote this article about greatness and everyone wants to allocate a numerical value to greatness of players where I'm the other way I can't wait to watch it mm. because there are so many great players in the NBA Steph Curry's a great scorer Clay Thompson's a great shooter LeBron James well he's out but a great athlete yep. Giannis is incredible Kevin Durant's incredible every team Ja Morant everyone's yeah. got, mm. but they've also all got weaknesses as a group mm. and so for me it's fascinating I'm very very happy and the NBL's the same I'm very happy to sit back as a fan and just enjoy the fact I've got greatness in front of me That's I don't a, yeah. need to compare it to Jordan or need, need to compare it to Kobe I've been around the game long enough that there are great players playing and I just want to enjoy them. Yeah. So for me, I'm happy to be surprised. I don't care. Yep. To, to some level, I don't have a team. Same as the NBL. I'll sit back. I'll allow myself to be a fan. Awesome. I'll evaluate it at the end and we'll talk about it. But <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm very, very interested to see. That's such a great point because I have to keep reminding myself and I've been thinking about that this week with Tiger Woods potentially coming back for the Masters. And that is like, We've been brought up in the greatest generation to watch sport. You know, 100%. you look at tennis, there's never going to be another Roger, Nadal or Djokovic. Maybe they will. I mean, we, oh, we still had McEnroe true. and Borg and Edward and Navratilova. They're never going to be them. And 
Same with probably the NBA. People talk about LeBron and then would they compare him with MJ? Same with Aussie rules. Like people always talk about there's never going to be another thousand goals. And I, th- I think Franklin. that's a point like, that we don't need to compare. No, we just exactly. appreciate yeah. what's in front of us. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But I need to take more time in appreciating them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. What do you reckon, mate? This has been pretty awesome. It's been awesome, Chris. I've, I've, I've had a ball. And I think what I've really got out of what you've been talking about today is a lot of the sports psychology stuff because your perspective has been... We've, we've spoken with coaches on this show before, but your perspective is totally unique. And hearing your story and, how you, and, and the way you viewed it and now looking back and how you're viewing it moving forward I've just found it fascinating I don't yeah, know it's been good fun yeah so no, I, appreciate I just it. want to thank you man. no I'm you're really more than welcome I just came for the free coffee <laughs> <laughs> no thank you th- genuinely thanks for having me we've, no. we've gone back a, long, yeah. a lot of years Wade Oss and uh, yeah. it's good to have a chat yeah hopefully uh, the doggies can uh, absolutely can but come if they don't they don't they don't yeah <laughs> I won't be crying <laughs> yeah. there you go D, wasn't that episode just awesome? Oh, mate, I got so much out of it. I'm sure you did too. And, of course, thank you to everyone who listened. Guys, if you haven't already, go and subscribe to the podcast over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For sure. And please leave us a five-star review on Apple. It goes such a long way to helping the show. And, of course, you have your chance to get a shout-out. Don't forget to go and follow us over on Instagram as well. What's the Instagram, D? It's at D underscore. D-O-S-A-N-D-D underscore. See you next week. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you in the next episode.